if you are earning five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars because you go and speak at the um, uh, you know a, a conference of data chief data officers or something like that in in Boston and they you know, and talking about your results, should you declare it as a conflict of interest? Just say yes. Just yes. Do it. Do it. It is done. And then we can move on. You know, that's this is not some giant moral dilemma where you're on a slippery slope. Well, if I do that, do I have, then have to declare that I want to feed my cat or something, you know? Welcome to Everything Hurts. My name is Dan Quintana from the University of Oslo and I'm here with James Heathers from Northeastern University and we are joined by a very special guest, Tom Chivers, who is a freelance science writer who's previously worked as BuzzFeed's UK science writer as well as The Telegraph. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, th- thanks for joining us, Tom. Yeah, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Did you yeah, just we- snicker when Dan said Telegraph? I did. I, I- I'm not exactly snicker. Oh, shit, that was a long time ago. Sorry, pardon my language. <laughs> no, go, go for it. There's, there's no restrictions here. Gloves, gloves are off. This is the internet, Tom. You can say whatever you like. Yeah, good point. Yeah, I'm, very, I'm very nicely brought up, though, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking hell, Dan isn't. Yeah, no, you know, I, I was, I was on, out in the streets. Now, today, we, we want to talk about uh, conflicts of interest in psychology, and Tom, you wrote an excellent piece a few weeks ago on this topic, which was uh, which was kindling for hundreds of hot takes on Twitter. So this one clearly struck a chord. And I saw you mention on Twitter that you were working on this piece for for months. So tell us what got you first interested in this topic, and uh, and what actually went into writing up this story. Well, okay. So initially, I thought like, I I thought I had. Like a really classic piece of investigative journalism going on. So look, I've got I, I you know, I won't not gonna name any names or anything like that, but I thought like I've got this one person I can like really like, look, they do this research, they do this, um, you know, they they do they do these talks and these uh these uh, you know they they do this research into a certain topic. I really I'm really gonna try and talk around it a little bit here to not be too like I I'm attacking anybody. But anyway, so they, they I thought I'd found someone who was doing lots of work on work researching something and were then doing these big talks and these big uh, consultancies and everything and earning loads and loads of money talking about their results and then not declaring that as a COI conflict of interest. And I thought, gosh, you know, that's you know, I can really you know, this is a classic bit of investigative journalism. I can really sort of nail this person and say, look, we can show we can show they are engaged in the wrongdoing. And I, I dug into it a bit, and I dug into it a bit more, and I realized that nobody in psychology does that. And so I ended up, it ended up going from being this sort of, like, I'll, it'll be an 800-word sort of investigative journalism piece, you know, uh, pointing out one person uh, misbehaving, to a sort of realizing that I actually have to look at the entire field of psychology in which this is just treated as normal behavior, the, that you can do these, that you can be so massively invested in your um in in a in a particular research topic like this and 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 do quite lucrative things around it and that not being considered a conflict of interest and you know once you like i think it's probably obvious from my tone of voice that i think it probably is but as you know i don't want to sort of start acute like saying i have all the answers and lots of people disagree with me and thought it wasn't a conflict of interest but yeah that was where it came from so it sprung out from being uh, a sort of simple uh, piece of uncovering some wrongdoing to really having to talk about the, the norms and practices of an entire field. Well, yeah, you wrote heavy, heavy duty. Um, <laughs> Dan, Dan, I get a question. Dan. Yeah, go, go, James, mm. go, James. Um, obviously, look, this is 
the environment in psychology, you'd have to say, was different to other forms of quotation marks science because mm-hmm. other COI discussions seem to be way more well-developed. Um, obviously, drugs, uh, mm. medical device design, anything to do with tobacco, um, probably a whole lot more, especially in biotech these days. Mm. Is psychology lagging behind because it's just not seen as something where you sort of chisel off IP and then it's yours and you end up developing it commercially? It struck me it was pretty much that, that no one had thought about these things before. No one had like, it had, no, it hadn't really crossed anyone's mind that possibly if you uh, do some research into, I don't know, the effic- efficacy of some brain training app yeah. or whatever, and then you go and give talks about how amazingly important this brain training app is or, you know, like doing certain kinds of ec- mental exercises to improve your mental acuity or whatever. And you go and give speeches at schools and you go give talks at universities and you write a book and you make lots of money from this. It didn't really occur to anyone to sort of start thinking about whether or not that could influence your future research, you know, and whether that would be, whether that would hang over you. And uh, yeah, maybe it isn't, or maybe, it, maybe as lots of people said to me, you know, if, if, if we have to declare that, declare that as a conflict of interest, maybe we have to declare, I want to get tenure as a conflict of interest. I don't know, you know, um, but it struck me that, it was a conversation worth having at the very least, you know, that this hadn't yet been even brought up. And and I think it is like, yeah, you're right. In, in lots of other fields in pharma, basically loads of people turned out to be gaming the system and making loads of money from pharma companies while doing uh, research, finding that the pharma companies uh, products were amazing, uh, you know, amazingly. Uh, whereas in psychology, so in psychology, we haven't, haven't really gone through that yet. And also I think it is, it's not that many people who do it. It should be, it should be specified. There are, you know, like I, I spoke to various psychologists. I don't know if either of you guys are asked to, spe- you know, give talks after dinners uh, for 20,000 pounds of pop or anything like that. Um, but What's 20,000 pounds worth these days? About 850? Yeah, something like that. You know, we, we've, we've messed that up a little over here. Yeah. Um, but the, but the, uh, you know, it, it's, it, it's, it's, so I think it's because it's this relatively small number, you know, in, in, a, in a field of presumably millions of people who work as psychologists worldwide, or certainly tens or hundreds of thousands, uh, there's probably only a few hundred or a few thousand who command that sort of fee and who are actually, you know, big enough names to do it. And so it's not like uh, pharma research where loads, you know, anybody who wanted to could go and start shilling for pharma companies in, in, in a similar way. But whereas it, for in psychology, it is something that is quite a niche in the market. So I guess maybe it hadn't you know, sort of bubbled up to public attention in the same way. I think that those are two. Of the, those are the two reasons for me. That's really oh. interesting because I, I've sort of made the switch from psychology across to psychiatry, and most psychiatrists I work with, it's basically normal. They've, they've all got consultancy fees. They've, they've all done something for pharma, and they they, they all disclose that, and that's fine. Um, so it, it, it's quite a difference there. But uh, during. It, your uh, in your article, you uh, you spoke to Steven Pinker, 
and uh, and he mentioned uh, I'm I'm going to I'm going to quote what what was written in the article here that speaking fees and consultancies would not be obvious conflicts of interest unlike say evaluating a drug produced by a company in which one holds stock since there would not seem to be incentives aligned with making one claim versus another now I find that kind of statement a little bit alarming but um but let's give Stephen the benefit of the doubt here and uh, I, I'm just curious like in, in what situations where this would actually be true because I can't really think of any myself. It struck me as very like I should say like I'm I'm uh, you can go back through the things I've written over the years and discover me being an absolutely pathetic Stephen Pinker fanboy. So this is you know and I I don't want to hold him up as an example of someone yeah, yeah, doing yeah, these course, things wrong. But you know but like he but I but on the other hand that statement I, I had a quite a, a lengthy email conversation with him and I like you know trying to sort of say so what do you you know what do you think about this situation this situation he was like no. Well, I, I, he, he he was really stuck to his guns on it. He really felt that this is not a situation. And I, I thought I'd explained it well enough for, to make sure there was no ambiguity. So I, d- I don't think I'm like misinterpreting or misrepresenting his views here. But to me, I, it struck me as really surprising because it strikes me that if you are, again, if you if you are doing, let's let's use the fictional uh, brain training, you know, some sort of uh, exercise to improve your brain abilities, whatever. And you do research into that, and then you give talks about that. Then the incentives of a researcher are to find out whether it's true, whereas the incentives of the person who makes fifty thousand dollars a time talking about it after dinner is to make sure that the fifty thousand dollar revenue stream come, keeps coming in. So you know, it struck me that the two aren't necessary. You know, if if it turns out that the brain training thing doesn't work then your incentives are absolutely not aligned. Your incentives pull in diametrically opposite directions. Or, or, you know, and again, so it seems to me as a, you know, I'm a journalist, not a psychologist. uh, So I I don't want to claim I've got any sort of special insight here, but that's what it struck. It struck struck me as unlikely that he was right about that. Well, so presumably, the, the, the center of declaring this is declaring it in the research. Right, it's not. Yeah. It's not. It's not turning up at a speech and go. Just by the way, the Women's Auxiliary Institute. Just so everyone knows, <laughs> I do. I do research on this, and my conflict of interest is that hopefully the research is good, and then I come and talk to you. It's the fact that you are receiving money from sources that are related to your topic of research. Is mm. there sort of like there's. There's kind of a, it feels like when people go, oh, well, I've got a conflict of interest. I want to get tenure. Well, you know, I've Mm. got a conflict of interest. I don't want to get fired for not doing research. I mean, at at some point in time, that breaks down because that is the thing itself. It's not just an outside activity. So there's obviously a scale Mm. and there's kind of a, like a, a proportionality and a, directness that both seem to be involved. And the proportionality is something like I get paid $20,000 for 90 minutes work. Mm. So is, is there, is there a point where it's kind of not, I mean, presumably there's an awful lot of people who, I mean, I've done consulting on different projects here, which is hard to Mm. organize with the visa, but it's generally Mm. for sort of, uh, run a workshop, two grand, back this project up, five, ten grand, etc. Um, yeah. It's directly related to your work, and you're you're doing it for an external party. But I've never thought of any of that as a COI. 
I've never declared that I've done outside work as a conflict because I don't have any, I mean, the incentives in all of those projects is if someone screws up, you get the, the, the great pleasure of getting on the phone and going, hey, you know how you're paying me a lot of money to make you accurate? Well, you've got everything mm. wrong and you need to start again and I accept mm-hmm. the fact that you hate me now. Yeah. So you, presumably the incentives are different there. Mm. But it's, I mean, you're, you're not talking about your own research in that situation in the same way, are you? I mean, this is this was a complicating factor. This is what some people, if I've understood you correctly, and feel free to jump in at any point and tell me if I haven't. But the, uh, that this is something people brought up. Where they were saying like some of the people, the what the, the, the people they considered I don't know, the worst offenders, I suppose, you know, or the you know the, the people who who are most salient on this topic, um, were the ones who went and gave talks that weren't just about the sort of, you know, or consultancies, whatever, that weren't just about the state of the research. And this is how we understand the body of it. You know, this, you know, this is how we understand the landscape of brain training apps as a whole and whether or not they actually work and so on. But actually people going and say, this is why my brain training app is particularly important and relevant. And that is where, you know, so, so if you are giving this talk about, about your own work in this very direct way, then it seems to me, then the incentives line up. The, what's complicating there is of course in until you've given the talk no one knows whether your talk is going to uh, be about the brain you know about brain training apps in general or about your brain training app in particular so i don't, I don't know if there's is that is is that, is that sort of what you're getting at this sort of yeah um, yeah it is i'm doing a poor job of explaining mm. it because i haven't done my brain training <laughs> <laughs> well, i'm doing a poor job of understanding things because it's two million degrees in this car but anyway so yeah <laughs> <laughs> fair enough uh, I saw a, a a nice article recently, which was because um, I, I think the, a lot of the reaction to the tweets, like you said, it's like, oh, but mm. is, isn't me getting tenure a conflict? Isn't me mm. getting getting this publication a conflict? And a really mm. good definition that I saw is, is it possible to eliminate the conflict of interest? Mm. You can't eliminate that I want to, I want to remain employed. You can't mm. eliminate that um, I have a bias um, towards this sort of area of research because that's where I trained. Yeah. Um, but there are there are certain other areas where you can actually eliminate the conf- conflict of interest. Uh, f- for instance, if you're if you're reviewing a, a colleague, James and I are waiting for the day that we get sent each other's papers to review. Someone asked mm. a question on Twitter recently, going, "Could you do this in in an unbiased way?" And we 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 would we would tear each other's papers apart. But mm. at the same time. Um, there, there is no way to eliminate this conflict of interest. I, well, I mean, sometimes I'm tempted to eliminate my friendship with James, mm. but it's, 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 it's not, it's not going to happen realistically. But yeah. there are ways of of having oversight, for instance, having like an editor, you know, make, making sure that, um, uh, that you know the, the review is fair, for instance. So I think that idea of can you eliminate the conflict of mm. interest is kind of, kind of, kind of because otherwise you fall down this rabbit hole of like, well, you know, what about this? What about that? Um, you know, th- these conflicts of interest that affect everyone. Yeah. So it's, it's, yeah. it's. It's, yeah, it's but tricky. Pre- presumably, the center of that is the declaration, right? You're going to have overlapping interests no matter what you do. Between very, most people don't get money from one place in particular. Mm. The whole point, surely, is the fact that it's not explicit. It strikes me that with the, um, I was thinking about this because I had so many tweets like that, which you know, it's not a, it's not a ridiculous point that you know they're that. We are all incentivized, or all researchers are incentivized to find positive results. Because if they don't get positive results, they won't get published in a journal. If they don't get published in a journal, they won't get tenure. You know, the, the whole the whole system. And it struck me as that being, while that is true, that's just like pointing to a much bigger set of problems, which you need to be solved by 
much bigger systemic fixes. You know, the, the whole this whole the, that article really is that you know I, I, I'm really proud of it, and I think it's talk, pointing to an important question. But it's basically about saying like, should you declare? Should you take this fairly straightforward step of declaring a conflict of interest in this fairly limited set of uh, circumstances? My own feeling, you know, I was, I was trying to be as neutral as I could in the piece. My own feeling is yes, but, you know, people may disagree. But the, these wider set of problems about, you know, I'm incentivized to find positive results. I'm incentivized to get, to, you know, to then publish papers. That strikes me as something to do with the whole sort of ethos of science in which journals worry about novelty of results. And so scientists are chasing novel results rather than doing good, you know, and then, then you have, you have to fix that with some, you know, with, much bigger fixes like demanding pre-registration, pub- uh, promising publication on the strength of the methods rather than the novelty of the results, and all these sort of much larger and more systemic and impressive fixes. Whereas, like, if you have, if you are earning five thousand dollars or ten thousand dollars because you go and speak at the, um, uh, you know, a, a conference of data chief data officers or something like that in in Boston, and they, you know, and talking about your results, should you declare as a conflict of interest? It's a, just say yes just yes do it do it it's done <laughs> and then we can move on you know that's this is not some giant moral dilemma where you're on a slippery slope well if i do that do i have then have to declare that i want to feed my cat or something you know and also and also like we were saying before something that something that uh, other fields seem perfectly straightforwardly navigating um, mm. i was reading a, a cardiology paper the other day and the conflicts of interests were so extensive it was three quarters of the first page I mean, yeah. they've, they've, like every time, every time it's a, it's a brag some, sheet almost. Yeah, well, mm. every time someone who owned a patent on a statin had sneezed in a corridor near one of the authors, they were writing mm. down that it was relevant. Yeah. Um, so I don't think anyone's. It, I, I don't think that's under individual scrutiny for any given thing. It just seems to be. Uh, do you, I mean, Dan, have you ever heard of someone uh, going through, unless it's sort of like uh, Researcher Malone was directly funded by the Philip Morris Foundation for Poisoning <laughs> Kids, and that's mm. like the whole thing, right? Mm. It's no one's, no one's putting those under close scrutiny. I mean, people will take the throwaway line, oh, it's funded by the big farmers. I'm sure literally everything about it is terrible. Or mm. insert agribusiness or your, your collective commercial demon of choice, right? Mm. Who managed to do research probably all over the general spectrum of accuracy. Mm. Um, have you ever heard of really close scrutiny like that, Dan? Someone lists 20 COIs and someone actually goes through them, looks them up and says, oh, hang on a minute. Surely not them. <laughs> it seems like a matter of process more than a matter of like, if we have this information, it's actionable. Let me put it like yeah. that. Yeah, that, that, that's a sense that I get, but it almost never happens in psychology. I think the only field where I see it happening more often is sometimes in developmental psychology where uh, people are developing interventions that uh, tend to be rolled out on like nationwide basis when, in schools. Uh, the, the Triple P parenting program, I think, c- comes to mind. And they, I think they got a bit of a slap on the wrist because they didn't tend to, uh, they, they didn't actually um, d- disclose their conflicts. Um, so, to begin with, yeah, now, maybe, maybe that'd be a good follow-up article, Tom. What Dan's yeah. saying is, there's lots of people in the pocket of big children. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the other thing about this whole thing is like, I, I don't, I, I, I remember I was speaking to uh, Adam Dunn, Adam Dunn for the pieces of um, another Aussie in uh, 
oh, I can't work. I can't remember what university is. Not New South Wales, but anyway, um, Macquarie University. Um, and I think he was saying about it that there's not entirely clear that putting your declaration of interest on a on a paper actually does the job you want it to do of making people then be less wary to try, you know, le- less trusting Ooh. of the research. It, it, it's some, it may even make people sort of be a bit more like willing to trust people because they are, you know, because they're being open about things. And, you know, maybe mm. that's, maybe that's what you want. And also I suppose that, you know, another thing that all the various editors who, who were in favor of declaring this thing, they also want to say, look, we should, we, this isn't like a, dec- a declaration of guilt. This is, should be, this should be, uh, you know, it's not that you declare it and therefore we should, we should treat you as some sort of pariah. So this, you, you, it should be, it should be you being honest and open. And these are all the possible things. So I, I don't know. It, it strikes me that a lot of people got immensely defensive about it or a lot of people sort of felt that this was some sort of attack on the, you know, on, on integrity, but it, it shouldn't be. That's that, that it shouldn't be at all. It should be, they should be sort of like, I, I am proud to, to announce these are the ways, you know, I, I'm a, I'm a psychologist, psychologist for God's sake. I know about human human biases, and the, it is possible that I am biased in these ways. And I should be, you know, I, you know. It strikes me, in fact, that psychology of all places should know that uh, conflicts <laughs> of interest should be should might not be obvious. I yeah, I understand that that in the UK, UK doctors, there is a voluntary conflict of interest register. I, I don't remember the name. Some, someone over Twitter told me about this, um, where doctors can actually register this. Um, and, and it's a, it's a public registry that, um, mm. anyone, so it, it's more for patients, you know, is, is, is my doctor prescribed me the statin, uh, are they yeah. in the pocket of that company type thing? Um, so I mean, yeah, uh, in one sense that could work for psychology. I think you raise a good point in that there's not that many com- compared to medicine. There's not that many people in psychology that this would actually be an issue for, yeah. uh, that doesn't, that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be doing it. And, and it seemed the, the sense that I got from the people that you spoke to were kind of like, well, this is, this isn't the norm. We're not doing this because mm. this isn't the norm uh, and we might do this in the future now, now, yeah. now that you've raised this and you know writ, writ, written about me in nature <laughs> yeah, exactly. um, but uh oh, but still like, like you said like it's just these people are psychologists and surely surely getting twenty thousand k for a speaking gig has to yeah. be <laughs> but it's ah oh, i don't know yeah, it's very odd it's very odd i mean the, on that sort of on that the idea that you just mentioned about the gps in britain uh or, you know doctors being about their public public registry an idea that was floated by a couple of people. Um, so Alan Carson, who's a neuropsychiatrist and therefore sort of close to the field, but a bit much more medical aspect of it. It's like, no, this, this should be declared. You know, he's just like, absolutely, absolutely. This should be declared. And also, um, although I don't think the quotes ever, I don't think the quotes made it in sadly, cause, uh, but Samin Vizier, um, who I'm sure, you know, uh, um, they both suggest- the show. Really? I'm, I'm not, yeah. not at all surprised. Um, she, uh, she, they both suggested that you could just put a list of your potential COIs on your ORCID page. You know, your, I can't remember what it's called. Um, mm. uh, research something portal, you know. Um, yeah. And, uh, and that, that, then, then all you have to do is say, you know, in your, in your actual printed paper, all, you know, so, so you're not taking up an entire page of, um, you know, clinical psychology or whatever in, in the printed journal with this great long list of, I gave a speech at Macquarie university or whatever. <laughs> you can just say, you say linked, link to you know, my link to author's orchid page for the full, full list of potential COIs. And again, this struck me, you know, this, it struck me as a really minor fix and it's surprised me how, you know, I, I, actually, I, most people were, very, were really in favor and, uh, of the piece and most people were very much sort of, this is, a really interesting new, um, you know, it's an interesting thing that we're pleased to be talking about. But there, you know, and of course, as the author of the piece, I'm always going to see more 
um, com- more of sort of negative comments because that's just how we are, isn't it? But there were quite. A, I was surprised to see as many as I did of people going, mm, "Well, you know, if this is a COI, anything should be it could be a COI." So, well, just declare it, you know. Just just put it on the make it on your orchid list. It's really it's really fixable with an internet with with internet publication as well these days. It's really sort mm. of straightforward thing you can do. So yes, now I I'm I'm playing I'm putting my cards on the table, which I didn't in the piece of feeling it is it, it, it seems very odd to me that these things aren't declared. You just need to park them somewhere durable. If you if you I mean the paper might potentially outlast a whole lot of websites. So mm. if you've got something like Orchid, then you can park them there and they won't go away. And that yeah. is potentially the end of the story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Struck me as uh, no, but then I guess no, no field likes no, no sort of body of expertise likes to be told they're doing things wrong, uh, <laughs> and so and everyone gets a bit sort of well, come on, who's this outsider coming in and saying all these things? And I, I think psychology in particular is probably a bit sensitive about all this stuff at the moment. <laughs> what with the um, the other ways in which everyone's saying you need to sort of get your house in order, you know, the uh, with all, all various other. Uh, it struck me as very part, much a part and parcel of the whole replication crisis and people not paying attention to the way in which their work could be uh, where their work could be going wrong you know no one, no one 99 times out of 100 you don't need to accuse anyone of deliberate malpractice but there's so much of psychology is just sort of based on misunderstanding how statistics work or you know or just like and so much of it is sort of accidental p-hacking and all this sort of thing Mm. Um, and I'm sure you guys would have opinions on how, whether my 99 out of 100 thing is right, but I, you know, I feel a lot of it is just accidental. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, so, so I feel like this is sort of part of that. You know, like the, there's a lot of people in psychology feeling quite defensive and circling the wagons about sort of like all these people coming in and saying, well, come on, you need to pre register your studies. You need to um, stop the, the running 35 different. Um, uh, analyses on one set of data until you find something something interesting. You know, all these uh, you know, using your un, unvalidated aggression measures, all this sort of bloody blah bloody blah, blah, blah. And uh, it, it struck me as this is just one more thing like that of someone else coming in and saying, "Well, you're doing this wrong, aren't you? You're doing this wrong, and maybe you should stop doing that." And I can I can sort of see why you would, if you're in the field and were doing all these things, start to get a bit defensive about it. Yeah, sure, but look in your in your defence, you're saying. Mm. Just declare them, and you might even be protecting yourself because you—it's you, insurance against the charge in future that you have undeclared conflicts mm. of interest that are supporting your crap research into something <laughs> that you're then going out to hawk, um, which people obviously accuse each other of all the time. You know, well, yeah. that's as you have a commercial interest in that idea not being a bag of garbage because you're touring it right now like a fish reunion. Or you're playing stadiums throughout the country talking for money about your idea that we all think is terrible. And every time you write your idea down in the formal scientific literature, you don't declare your fish tour. Uh, for, yeah. for younger listeners, that's actually a band, not the fish like the ones that I continually use to mock Dan. It's spelled with a P. I've never actually heard them. I just know that they're real and they shouldn't be. I, I, I'm aware of them, but I think I might only be aware of them through a Simpsons joke or something like that. Anyway, yeah, yeah. But, yeah, they're but, yeah. a jam band from Vermont, which is exactly what it sounds like when you put a, all of those nouns into a sentence and turn it into music. 
Yeah, just um, so, so it may, your your proposed solution when you say, look, you should be doing pre-registration. It's a completely different way about thinking of the, of the entire central act of publication when you're doing research. What you're yeah. saying is, if you make money, write it down somewhere, which mm. is a pretty fucking minor ask at yeah. the end of the day compared to completely change the central tenets of how you put words in order that is your job yeah yeah, yeah absolutely i mean that's what i'm saying like the, 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 that is a there is a really big major problem with not just psychology but the whole concept of how you do science and it's you know it's not just about the writing the papers it's about how you start doing the research it's about how you make the hypotheses and all these things, you know, and like there are people trying to find these different fixes. And I really love um, Chris Chambers' uh, registered reports as an idea of, you know, the, the idea that you not only pre-register your hypotheses, but you pre-register your methods and then you submit to the journal and they promise to either publish or not publish on, you know, they promise to publish on the back of uh, the strength of your uh methods rather than waiting to see if you find something novel. Because it's right, you know, as we all, I'm sure, would agree, if you wait for um, if you're waiting for novel results, then you are literally incentivizing people to make stuff up or to come to find false results. Aren't you? I mean, that's the sort of the core of it. And that is, this strikes me as a much bigger, much more difficult to fix problem. And I, w I would be really, I, I, I'm, I, you know, when I, whenever I get the chance, which is quite rarely because in the mainstream press, it's quite hard to get major articles about pre-registration of, uh, <laughs> of study trial, study, study method. Um, uh, you know, I've managed to get it, I've managed to do it a few times. I managed to get um, 50,000 people to read a BuzzFeed article about um, P-values, which is one of, honestly my proudest achievement. Amazing, uh, yeah, amazing. Yeah. Didn't you win an award for that? Didn't you win an award from the Statistical Society? So, for okay, so I have got I have got a story about So the, the year before that, before the, um, I'd, I'd got like runner-up or whatever it was called. It was called, um, uh, you know, honourable mention or special, you know, uh, highly commended for uh, writing a piece about statistics. And that then shortly after that, I, I did this p-value piece, and I was literally thinking, I want to win that fucking award, right? So I did this whole p-value. You know, there was like there was a, there was a, there was, a, there was a description of Bayes' theorem. It was this whole thing hey, going, going through. In. Yeah, exactly. I really see how this is the greatest hit of my statistical thing. And that year, I won the better the best you know best in show whatever the phrase is for you know the, the um, best uh, explaining the facts uh, uh, statistical excellence in journalism award for a totally different story it was a uh, was... <laughs> oh, no <laughs> was, uh, i feel there's a lesson here you know somewhere i don't know exactly best what it is plants of mice and nerds yes exactly oh. it was <laughs> i really really tried it was, it was i felt like i was being mocked anyway it gave me a good story <laughs> to tell on the uh, on the winner's podium whatever they whatever it was but yeah so so i was i was i was really proud of that and I, but it is difficult it's it's a th it's a drum i continue to bang of like this is there are these real problems in science, and it does mean that an awful lot, you know, because it, it filters through to us in the mainstream media, and therefore it filters out from us to the wider public of this sort of misunderstanding. Well, there, there are very, you know, there are misunderstandings at various points, and the you know, the, the, the way the, play, the the way that science gets it wrong is that it is hunting novelty rather than trying to uh, do good, you know, fixing fixating on methods, and then accepting whatever the method results the methods give it that is where it's like where the science itself goes wrong it's pushing you know trying to get things published trying to get things uh, novel things in publishing so they can all get tenure that's this, the whole ecosystem that we've all i'm sure discussed a million times and where 
science journalism gets it wrong, I think, is that we are always looking out for stud- we we want to have a study that we can hang a new a news story on. So you know, so that's where you get yeah. always this week red wine causes cancer, last week it cured <laughs> cancer, you know. And what we should be doing, and it's really hard to do because we we are a, a, an industry built on novelty. You know, we're industry. We, we want we want to tell you about air crashes, not sort of mortality rates. So we want to, so so we end up telling talking about um, this new study comes out. Whereas what we should be doing is saying this new study comes out. This is where it fits into the wider body of of knowledge that we already have. This is you know uh, yeah. and still your the uh, the protective effect of red wine remain uh, on cancer remains on the sort of the J shaped curve, and we are not. It still seems to be that your risk goes down a little bit if you drink a little bit, and goes up quite quickly if you drink more. And that's you know that's just. That's what we know, you know, and it doesn't really matter what study comes out that week in cellular biology or whatever, because that will, it doesn't add, it only adds a little bit. It's a little increment, which can shift the dial a tiny bit, but that's a very hard concept to get around in a new, in a news environment that's built for, you know, big shocking front pages and needs to sell papers and also it's just, it's the same problem as the, as the, um, at the other end, really, in, in many ways, and we're looking looking for novelty and excitement to push things forward. So it's, that's an even bigger problem to fix, and I don't know how you do it. Well, that's, it's interesting that you picked red wine. That was that was going nuts again recently. There was some shit in the last couple of weeks about red wine something. I think it's because of I think it's because of the resveratrol mm. uh, content. So it's it's usually that it's usually like a, for an adult human male, which we yeah. allegedly are. <laughs> um, if you if you eat a shovel full of it, then you you you'll have twelve percent better kidney health or some shit like that. I'll tell mm. you something interesting. You might not know this, Tom. One of the one of the really heavy duty uh, all time scientific frauds mm. was the guy who was absolutely central to. Resveratrol research. Really? Yeah. And everyone has forgotten about this because it's five or six years ago. His dude's name was Deepak Das. And mm. he worked at, I think, Yukon. He's mm. only off the all time leaderboard because there's so many other people who've been pushing on it. But yeah. <laughs> that's not to say it was really great. Um, yeah. There was an investigation. He would have had maybe 20 papers. I want to say 20 papers retracted. Mm. Um, and then in the middle of the investigation, unfortunately, he died. And mm. it kind of, because we see a lot of the response to this is kind of retributive, you know, mm. you got to punish that dude when he's, when he's not available to be punished because of his untimely death. Um, mm. We're kind of done with the process. And so the background of a ton of that stuff, uh, the, 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 the whole sort of research thrust that made it popular in the first place, um, it was it was some really heavy duty uh, number of individual counts of misconduct in about twenty papers, and wow. yeah, now you don't see that and because this stuff is popping up all the time, and you probably see it more than I do because I I don't have no Eureka alert access, so I read the stories with everyone else. I'd love to mm. be able to get my hands on the press releases before embargo, so I had something really nasty ready to come out. But um, yeah. I'm not a journalist, so I'm not allowed to. Um, you're gonna every time this is, goes for everyone else as well. Every time you see a red wine story that's about resveratrol something something. Mm. Um, 
see what it's see what it's citing, see how well it's uh, see how well it's working, and see if it's relying at any point in time on a uh, a big body of work that was by a dude who was. Uh, I mean, this was this was heavy duty. This made it the whole way to like the ORI level in the US. And okay. like, stuff that I've been involved with doesn't make it that far. I mean, there's proceedings mm-hmm. and there's different forms of scientific misconduct. This went the whole way to the top. Uh, and the ORI threw the book at this dude, and uh, Yukon was like in the process of trying to get rid of him, and then he sued them, uh, and then they added more claims of misconduct to the original thing. Now, all of that, that's a cool story, right? Mm. But you're never going to see it in the retread of red wine is good for you because there's a study last Thursday. Now, I that think is interesting. That's a way better story. Yeah, oh God, yeah. Well, because the uh, re- the red wine may or may not cause some ha- have some very minor effect on uh, on your likelihood of kidney cancer or whatever is uh, is actually a very boring story on the whole. You know, it's so uh, the 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 effects are so minor. It's only interesting because every Christmas uh, journal the um, the media want to be able to say red wine and chocolate are good for you, so that everyone so they can put it on the front pages and everyone goes, lol, it's Christmas, you know, um, <laughs> yeah, we can do that. It's a, the, it's a fantastically boring and deeply annoying story. And I've, I've written my probably by now equally boring and equally unhelpful story saying, look, this is both more complicated and more simple than this. You need to stop paying attention to this nonsense. Whereas some dude doing loads of fraud sounds kind of fun. Actually, I might have to pay attention to it. We will take a very quick break and we'll be back again soon uh, chatting with uh, Tom on Conflicts of Interest. If two Hertz episodes per month isn't enough for you, you can hear an additional bonus episode by becoming an Everything Hurts patron for only $5 a month. If you can't swing the $5 but still want to support the show financially, we also have a $1 per month tier which gives you access to a monthly newsletter. All of your financial support goes directly back into the show. If you want to support the show non-financially, we'd love it if you could leave an iTunes review or share links to the episodes on social media. Now, let's get back to it. Welcome back to Everything Hurts. Uh, in this episode, we are joined by Tom Chivers, who you can find on Twitter at Tom Chivers, and that's one word. Now, before we get back into conflicts of interest, uh, Tom, you recently published a book, The AI Does Not Hate You, Superintelligence, Rationality, and the Race to Save the World. Boy, that, that sounds uh, very interesting. Can, can you give us a, a quick lowdown of, uh, of this book? Sure, well, I, I can try. So, um, basically, there's this uh, it's, it's a tricky one to have the full elevator pitch like one minute thing but there's this bunch of really interesting people who sort of live uh in either how, depending on how you look at it either in california or sort of distributed around the internet you know um and they in the late 90s early 2000s a few of them started getting you know they were all real um technophiles really interested in sort of the singularity people and transhumanists and all that sort of stuff and then suddenly some, some of them started worrying like what happens actually if we make an AI and it's super powerful and it does exactly what we tell it to do, but you know when we tell it to do exactly what we tell it to do, uh, unfortunately translates into it literally killing everyone. And uh, they uh, and they became this little group. They sort of grew out of this. Um, this like like I said, sort of email chat rooms. You know, they, uh, we're probably old old enough to remember when you used to have to actually email each other instead of having a uh, <laughs> having having a sort of having social media sites. It was it was that sort of thing, and they and they they and they were they were they're really odd and they're kind of cranky, but they are 
they're all super bright anyway and they've become quite influential then the sort of the this idea of like the, what they call ai alignment or ai safety is like how do we how do we make sure that when we build a super intelligent ai which most um ai researchers think we probably will in if not my lifetime my children's lifetime you know then uh we um how will we make sure that it's it does what we want it to do rather than simply what we tell it to do do you know what i mean Mm. um because when and and then they so they've become this quite influential bunch there's like uh future of humanity institute at oxford university there's max tegmark of mit's um uh, he's a physicist at mit but he's set up the uh future of life institute in uh in boston i think and then the uh then there's various groups in california they uh, i know that um deep mind uh demis Hassabis and shane Legg have you know explicitly acknowledged that they think it's a real threat there's um mm. stuart russell who's the author of the sort of standard undergraduate textbook for ai is like actually no we dedicate some number of pages of the uh what is it artificial intelligence a modern approach which is the standard uh, textbook to this what they you know this uh, alignment problem so it's gone so so they're really interesting in their own right i so it's this book is a sort of um it's a bit of an uh anthropological study of them as this really odd slightly uh just fantastically nerdy bunch like really really weird they're obsessed with bayes theorem so you'd like them <laughs> um, yeah yeah they they're that's they're, that's their big thing is absolutely that, that is to them like the uh, what what uh true ideal decision making is which you know i think is probably correct uh, and then um uh and they're all it's quite a lot of them are into things like polyamory and all that sort of stuff you know so there's this really they're really they're really odd and interesting in their own right but also they are really they they've got these really interesting ideas about um not just about AI, but about uh, charitable giving and how you can donate well, best to charity and do the most good in the world. And then they also have this thing that there's strong possibility that within my children's lifetime we'll all be killed by a rogue AI. Which, you know, is if, it, if it's going to happen, is what seems to me worth paying attention to, you know. Um, so, yeah, so it's, it's about them. It's about uh, whether the ideas are worth paying attention to. It's about all the other ideas they come with, they've, they've sort of thrown up in their odd journey through life. Because I, I, I sort of, about four years ago, five or five years ago, I sort of accidentally fell into their internet circles and started reading all their blog posts and just found them fascinating. And then, and this sort of book grew out of that. It's a, I like, I flatter myself by saying it's a bit sort of John Ronson esque, you know, it's not like it, it, it is funny, but it's also trying to take their ideas seriously and trying to yeah. sort of pay, pay attention to it and not, not mock anyone because it would be very easy to write, to write a book mocking them, but actually sort sure. of take them seriously and address it. And yeah. So anyway, that is, that is, my incredibly long two-minute uh, pitch of what it's about. Uh, it's well. all right. It's the internet. The time is free. Um, yeah. Side side question: Did you yeah. get the title from Eliezer Ludovsky? Yudkowsky. Yes, I did. Yes. Yeah, yeah. The AI does not hate you, nor does it love you. But we are made of atoms, which you can, which it can use for something else. Well, we do have a copy of uh, of Tom's book. To, to to give away, uh, courtesy of the book's publisher, yes, Weidenfeld and Nickel Nicholson. And uh, in order to win the book, we're going to run another competition. Our last competition went really well. Uh, so for this competition, what we want you to do is to tweet out your favourite uh, Everything Hurts episode with a link to the episode and why it's your favourite. And we will randomly select an uh, entry and you're going to get yourself a copy of of Tom's book. So, uh, yeah. We randomly select one. I want to just select the one that's also my favourite. 
can't we just do? Can we just do something horrible? Because oh no, then people will start pandering, won't they? Then yeah, have just just interest. like last time, <laughs> we'll we'll randomly. Um, I'll, I'll I'll write something. I'll I'll, I'll oh. nerd it out and write a function in R and randomly select. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. uh, that's, that's so yes, best, that's the best way. Back to conflicts of interest. Now, uh, one one critique of the piece, Tom, that mm. that you got over Twitter was that you you t- when it, when it came to who you were speaking to, uh, that you sort of spoke to the same sort of people for comment that tend to be featured in these kind of psychology reform related pieces. Now, as a journalist, how do you navigate this issue of, of featuring the same sort of voices uh, that that sort of feature in this, 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 this sort of work? What do you think about all this? So, honestly, it is a real problem. I mean, it's, I, mean I, I don't think I did that in this piece particularly. I spoke to, I, I, I mean, I, you, in, as a journalist, you have, you don't have a little black book, but you have, because that, you know, it's not 19... 19- 72 anymore but you do have you have people you know don't you like you have a you have like i when i when i need comment on for a piece that i'm writing about drugs or when i need comment for a piece i'm writing about screen time or something like that there are people i know who can uh who i know will answer the phone for a start and especially if like i I, you know i've got four hours to turn a piece around then you're going to get them and and you know then it does become a problem because I, i could phone up um say i'm doing a thing about video games and I can, uh, I could phone up Pete Etchells, who I know really well, and I, you know, you know uh, read his book, and we've known each other for years, and all sort of stuff. I could, I could phone him up, and I can pretty much know what he'll say. So that, you know, not literally every time, but I could sort of, I could make a good stab at predicting what he'll say. So that does mean that I can, to some degree, steer the way the piece is going in a, in a, and is that is that right and appropriate? I don't know, you know. So it is that is a, a problem that I have to think about, and I, the, I've got in not exactly trouble before, but I've, I've made pieces not as good as I could have done by doing the other alternative thing, which is when you you know, someone's critical, say someone's critical of the brain training app that we're using as the hypothetical example to stand in for all these, you know, various psychological things. Um, and someone says, you want to have a look at this brain training app? It's a bit dodgy. And I say, okay, fair enough. And I go, and then they say, you should go and speak to this guy and this guy and this guy. And I go and speak to them all, and they all agree, yes, it is dodgy. But they've all, they, they're all, they're all linked. It's not like I'm getting independent comment. Uh. So you know, so you, it is what you know. What you want to be doing is a sort of quasi, you know, systematic review sort of thing of trying to get, <laughs> of getting as many outside views as possible, and it's really difficult to do. Um, so yeah, I, mean, I absolutely think this is genuine, a genuine problem for journalists. How do you, you know, especially with time constraints, with mm. you, know, you, yeah. you know, natural human problem of like I know these people, and I know like how to get hold of them, and uh, I'm comfortable talking to them. In this particular piece, I feel like I know Chris Chambers quite well, who I spoke to, um, but I only spoke to him fairly early in the process. I know um, Alan Carson from a piece I did years ago. But most of the most of the rest, I was sort of I was you know I was ch- people I'd never heard of chasing them down because they happened to have edited a thing from years ago, yeah. so it didn't feel to me like I was going down those well worn paths that are, that are you know are definitely there and I definitely could go down. Um, it felt to me like I was really sort of trying to reach out and find new voices. But then you know I, I can't I couldn't tell you exactly. I probably spoke to fifteen or twenty people for that piece. But there's still 15 or 20 people in the whole field of psychology, and you know, no pollster would tell you that that's a, a reliable sample. You know, mm. it's a, it, it is. Oh, you, 
Yeah, look, the, 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 the sort of infinite regress business applied to that, and eventually you're mm. going to be asking everyone, at which point in time we're all in the piece, so why write it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, exactly, yeah. So, look, here's another facet of that. I've obviously, because of my face and rubbish mm. opinions and things, yeah. I've put myself in the public domain doing a variety of different things, some of it research, some of it mocking people as a comedy mouse on the internet, yeah. Um, and that's great work besides. with that, by the way. Oh, I didn't know no, you'd in, seen it. The in, the in oh. mice thing is fantastic. Yeah, and I, um, yeah. I, I thought it was, I thought it was a like, really simple and straightforward thing, and I wish I'd done it. So yeah, that's always the highest compliment. You know, do you know what my favourite part mm. of it is? Is no, I, I do get not. Sort of about, I get about two a week. I get people who are sort of, hi, I'm doing a, um, I'm doing a. Uh, a bachelor's of journalism or a postgrad diploma in journalism at XYZ school. And I saw this thing because I was looking out for stuff. If you wouldn't mind, if you'd be so kind, please, could you know, just uh, like, be like, I don't want to take up too much of your valuable time, et cetera, et cetera. And I, I really love like giving the whole thing to those people who, mm. who like turn up out of the middle of nowhere. They're like, I could really use this because no one else has got access to this right now. Um, and they, they sort of turn up thinking I'm going to tell them to go fuck themselves, but I was yeah. trying to like answer that one in 20 minutes. So I get them, get them an interview, line all the stuff up, show them all my favorites, get the, get the mm. headshots together. And they're always kind of like, Oh my God, I can do this. They go, yes, you can do this. Now I'll be like, go out and expect the same treatment from all the people I don't like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Good work. Good it's, work. No, it's good. But what, 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 what I'm saying is look, my society, when you put yourself out into any form of public discourse mm. and you make it easy for people to find you, um, the difference that it makes to the kind of shit that they'll find you for is colossal. So mm. the whole point of like uh, when it comes to uh, public attention, the whole success breeds success thing. Yeah. Th when, when you do it yourself, when you regard that as something that you've done or something that you do, that's the thing that makes far more difference than any other goddamn thing. It's really hard to be in a position where you have to go and excavate all the things that you know yourself. Mm. As you said, look, time constraints, everything else. But the, the difference between having people who are available to talk about something that you want and people who in general are not mm. – um, my advice for anyone who's thinking like, ah, oh, well, look, that's not – and people people think everything's not sufficiently representative these days, whether or not it is like totally uh, monoculturally ridiculous or if it's trying to be as like open-handed as possible. It's like everything's not representing someone, something that someone wants represented. Mm. Um, yeah. My advice to them would be like try it. Try <laughs> writing something like that. Try seeing how many people just never get back to you. Try seeing the fucking attitude that scientists pull when they talk to journalists in the first place. And yeah, you will see really, really quickly, you will see really fast just why people rely on people who are comfortable with being in the public domain, people who put themselves out there. Mm. It's not sort of like, well, go and do more background work. It's really hard. I mean, if yeah. you if you start if you've got a story, Tom, and maybe it's a story that makes people a little bit uncomfortable, like the last one, and you mm. start cold calling and cold emailing people, what's your response rate as someone who's got like a journalistic leg to stand on? So it depends. It really does depend. But I mean, it, it, the the correct the correct answer, as you expect, is it's low until the point where you actually have something where you're going like, 
we've got this. We need you to respond to it. The piece is going to go live in a week's time. And if you haven't responded, we won't put your response in. Then you suddenly yeah. find people start getting back to you. Hmm. That's that's the real point. And then, like you know, I, 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 it's a real surprise when they don't. And that's when I think, oh, maybe the email hasn't gone through and I should, I'll try phoning <laughs> them or something, you know. Because generally speaking, when you're saying like, okay, we are accused, sometimes it's accusing, sometimes we are, you know, we're saying in this piece that you've done this, this, and this, it will, the piece will be going live a week on Wednesday, you have until a week on, you have until you have three days to respond if we, if we get it, you know, get it, if we get it into, into the piece by then, if you get us with this by then, then we can get your response to the piece. You'd be amazed how suddenly spam filters stop stopping those emails getting through and things, you know, suddenly, suddenly people notice them. But yeah, as on, on the whole, people are very good at not noticing the things that they don't want to notice. Now, on to our quickfire questions. Uh, in regards to, to your work as a, as a science writer, what's something that you've changed your mind about over the last few years? Oh, man, you've I I I asked me to think about this question and I've got so many things. Okay, so I'm basically, and I'm going to stick with the field of psychology since we're, that's what we're talking about, and you will understand me when I say everything. I mean, like the... I, I used to be so much, you know, like I, I read, um, uh, okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll give a really minor example from years ago, right? Which is what I, I, my, I've got, uh, I read a, it was in a Jonah, a Jonah Lehrer, actually, um, uh-huh. yeah, blog post, uh-huh. you know, exactly. Well, do you remember back when, back before that all went, yeah, all yeah. went south? Yes. Um, yeah. Well, yes. And he uh, he wrote a thing about you know there was this study in um, of uh, wine experts in which it turned out you know with this uh, you know the, the if you put literally red food coloring in white wine and served it at room temperatures then even the greatest sommeliers in the world couldn't you know couldn't tell the difference and it was just all you know it's all and all this wine stuff is absolutely um, uh, you know it's just, it's just expectation and all these things and the you know the, and. And I thought, wow, yeah, there's science showing this thing, you know, the really, and also I, I have a wine nerd friend and I just enjoyed completely like crowing over that. <laughs> it's all bullshit. All this stuff you like is bullshit. Your life is a sham, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but, uh, and I, and, and I sort of, and it was only it was not long after that. I think that must've been, you know, I, I, I started realizing actually you can't, this, I mean, I, I've no idea what happened to that study. I know what happened to Jonah Lehrer. But I bet you now, just on the basis of how the whole of psychology works, that little n equals thirteen sommeliers, or whatever what it was, study. I bet that wouldn't replicate, and I bet that the, yep. I bet all the um, the other things, you know, that all all these other things that you sort of used to just sort of take for granted, the half of like, yeah, you know, thinking fast and slow. This Bible, uh, you know, just tells everyone like how human minds work, you know, and, and I mm. I realise now that you know. Who's saying, you know, in that, in that, he's talking about how priming, you you cannot deny that priming is a real thing, you know, and, and actually now loads of the priming studies aren't replicating. So I, I've changed my mind about the fundamental trustworthiness of about 80% of, um, uh, so like research really, but spe- specifically psychological research, I think, and no offense to your field, but you know, that, no, is, that, is, that is what we're talking about. It's not, it's so, not yeah. really either of our fields anymore, so you're allowed yeah. to mock, yeah, go, go, go nuts, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, so uh, that's, I, mean, I don't know if that's maybe that's a bit broad for you, but like that's it struck me as that's the only thing I can really say. Like, I had all these things, I used to chop them out, I was like, you know, well, don't didn't you know about these particular, you know, all that, you know, put the pencil in your mouth and makes you smile, all those sort of things. And he's realized that none of it is, I, I don't trust a thing of it now. I don't trust any of it. And I don't trust any, if I read a 
scientific study, I will literally, I'll get get the PDF on my screen. I'll command F for the word pre-registration or pre-register. <laughs> if I don't find it, I'm easily just downgrade it about 10 notches in my mind of whether I can trust this thing. Yeah. So, yes, you so want to everything. know something interesting about that study in particular, Tom? Which one? Oh, the, the pencil one. one. Yeah. No, 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 not 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 the pencil one. The the wine study, the one where they they uh, they used the red wine words for the the coloured the red the white wine coloured red. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. That that wasn't on sommeliers; it was on wine students. Oh, oh, oh god. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Like everything else being on the uh, the, yeah. the the weird uh, group, isn't it? The, the Western and educated, industrialised. That's okay. Yeah, that makes that makes more sense. Yeah. That was on, and it was uh, it was twenty something per group. Now, look, I know some real serious wine nerds, and they can make some differentiations between shit that makes me hugely doubtful that that result yeah. would replicate in people who knew what they were talking about because they just can't. I can't. I don't have an acute palate. I have a distinctly average palate, but I've, I've yeah. seen people do weird shit like do a vertical tasting and being able to put them in order by smell. Nah. Right. I mean, you're not going to fool that fucker with a rosé with a little bit of blueberry colouring in it. No, you exactly. Know? And uh, I just, yeah, I, I, I don't know how, I don't know how good that is. But I mean, everyone thinks that it's sort of like it's something that's fun to throw rocks at. I mean, that's mm. what you did. It yeah. Was, it, yeah, exactly. But a friend who's really into it, and if you've got friends who are really into things, like say you had a friend who was really into oxytocin, you might say, for instance, that. <laughs> Mm. Oxytocin was a bag of balls quite a lot. Um, yeah. Just because so, it's music go ahead to you, and and oxytocin the... is balls. <laughs> so I've seen if I was to use the phrase the, the cuddle hormone or something, I'd get laughed at around here. Yeah, that's this you is not absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, 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 okay. That 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 that's a whole uh, that's a whole different story. Yes. No, <laughs> we, we don't have enough time to get him started, Tom. You have to do the other questions, Dan. I'll wind you oh, up yes. tomorrow. Okay, question, question number two, Tom. Uh, what's a book that you would recommend everyone should read? Okay, so again, I've got, um, right, so I was, I've just, I've just reread, finished rewrite, rereading the Northern Lights trilogy and they're wonderful, you know, they're sort of, uh, his dark materials and that's just wonderful, but that's so obvious and also not really. Um, then there's a nice, really uncontroversial one that I was going to say, which was, um, uh, the Unfolding of Language by Guy Deutscher or Guy Deutscher, which is a wonderful, like, I, I, I at one stage I got, like, I, I had this memory at one stage of, of like being amazed that you were sort of allowed to just pick up a book and be told how language worked and all that sort of stuff. So that was a wonderful thing. But actually, I think the most relevant one, I think, I'm, I'm say Alice Drager's um, uh, Galileo's, Galileo's middle, finger. middle finger. Yeah, which is a which is a it kicked up a lot of stink because it deals with gender issues and all that sort of stuff. But it's really interesting from the point of view of um how science can get captured by uh sort of politics and uh, and arguing and people you know pe people get uh, sh shouting about whether or not you should be allowed to study a certain thing and all that sort of stuff I, so i think it is it is very relevant to uh you know the the the, the, the sort of concept of like trying trying to do science in the right way and whether it can get captured by outside interests and all that sort of stuff Mm, Excellent. That we is, will. I I very much enjoyed more more than the rest of it. I very much enjoyed because because there were misconduct proceedings involved. Not that there's anything wrong with the rest of it. Do you remember mm. the section in that book that was specifically dealing with the uh, the anthropology wars? 
Oh, um, um, how, in this, how like, all second that shook out. Yeah, so the, the Yanomami and all that sort of stuff. The, um, yeah. oh, uh, oh, God, what was his name? No, Nelson or Napoleon. Napoleon, that was it. Napoleon, someone or other. Um, yeah, yeah, that, that was, I mean, it was all just messy. And, like, you know, you're not allowed to say, there's very much sort of, like, if you start to say anything other than the, these these people are noble and wise, then you then get a bunch of really angry people sort of telling you off for it. And it, it struck me as, I don't know, informative, instructive about how science works. I, I felt it was worth it was worth being aware of it as that, that this stuff does go on, even if you don't, even if it's only a relatively minor part of uh, what goes on. It's sort of the fact that it does go on is worth being aware of. Yeah, Chanyon, Napoleon Chanyon. Thank you. Yeah, yeah, that was the other one. That was that was the guy's name. Thanks for joining us, Tom. Listeners, make sure you check out uh, Tom's article, which we're obviously going to link to, his recent book, The AI Does Not Hate You, and follow him on Twitter at Tom Chivers. Thanks for joining us, Tom. And, Thank you, uh, Tom. Yeah, Thank you. Been, been that was great. lovely. Really, great, really great talking to you guys. Thanks very much.